It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today's episode is a heavy but important subject matter that came up in my head today for, it was like an accumulation of a number of things, one of which was a TikTok video I saw of a daughter talking about how after her mother died, she needed to go assign the bills to her name instead of her mother's in order to proceed with things like cell phone service. And when she brought the death certificate to the cell phone company, they said, well, we can't get into your account without a pin. And the daughter said, well, I don't have the pin. And long story short, they made it really challenging for her to get into the account. And I can't imagine going through that while mourning the death of a loved one. And it made me think about how important it is for us to do some planning. So I started looking into how to prepare for our own, you know, death. And I found this article on this website called lantern.co, which I was unfamiliar with, but actually seems like a really amazing service. They have an article called the 25 documents you need before you die, what you need to prepare your family and protect your legacy. And Lantern, for those that are curious, seems like they offer a variety of things. It's about proactive planning for your end of life wishes and navigating what to do after experiencing a loss. And I really want to dive deeper into their offerings because it's not something that I've done any planning around for myself or my family members. And frankly, I don't know if it's just the result of getting older, but I think also the pandemic has triggered a lot of thoughts around death for me. It's very in my face, whereas I felt like previous to the pandemic, it felt like sudden death would be reserved for like a freak accident. And this has just really hit close to home for people all around the world. And then earlier today, I heard from a friend who's knew someone that they were close to. I will um, not disclose the details of their relationship, but this person got COVID and died within five days. And I thought, oh my gosh, like that could happen to me, to anyone I know. And what if I needed to know some important information? What would I have to go through? I also think about this from time to time with my parents. I watched them go through their own parents' death, and it just felt like such a long, drawn-out process that felt incredibly painful. Like you're there to, you're trying to mourn someone's death, and if you're responsible for picking up their life and and handling all of the things that need to be handled, like it just feels so heavy and. Being a a big planner myself, I find comfort in being prepared. So I looked up this article on lantern.co 
And at the very beginning of it, they say, or the writer, Rachel said, let's face it, planning for our own mortality is uncomfortable and hard. And of course, as soon as I saw the word uncomfortable, I thought, well, let's talk about this on the show. I brought this up to Jason and I asked him, frankly, if he has prepared any documents for himself, because as his friend and his business partner, if Jason passed away suddenly, it will impact me in the sense that I may need to know some things. And if no one knows those things, Jason, then we'll be scrambling. And the same is true with me too. In fact, I I didn't tell you this yet, but on Google, you can like assign certain people to your account in case of death or some sort of reason that you yourself are not able to get into your account, you can choose people in your life much like you would with like, I had to do this with my 401k or my IRA, like I forget what the term is, but- A beneficiary? Exactly, yes. So you can choose who would get access to certain things should, should you no longer have them yourself. I put that down, your name, on one of my Google accounts, and I think it was the one that's tied into our business because I thought, well, (laughs) pretty much everything you would need to know is in there somehow, as much as from security purposes, it doesn't always feel 100% safe. But, you know, because of security, I have two-factor authorization and I have backup codes and I have all these things set up to protect myself from hacking and thus it would be incredibly hard for someone to get into my account unless they were able to work around all of those things. You know, like once you start up setting up digital security, which I think is incredibly important in the case of an accident, it does make it that much harder for somebody else to get into your account without knowing how. So I thought today we can go through this list as kind of an educational element for any of our listeners who have not thought about this and might want to. And just discuss the process of it. So I wanted to begin going back to you, Jason, before I dive into this article, how you felt thinking through this for at least a little bit of time before we started recording. Where did your brain go when I asked you about your, quote, death document, which I I didn't have another term for. I guess some people say death dossier. (laughs) I don't know, like aside from the terms like will and testament, like I haven't really thought of like what you would even call something like this. So how did that feel just to have this brought up and and where did your mind go from there? Well, my mind goes to a lot of places because, you know, my joke text back to you prior to this recording was like, yeah, it's a pretty important question for someone who's consistently suicidal, (laughs) which why hide it? I mean, I, you know. The people in my life know that I think about killing myself a lot, and it is what it is. So my initial response was, yeah, that that makes sense to have for multiple reasons. It also leads me down a thought pattern and a path of, well, who would I assign to what? And what in my life is important enough to assign someone to? I mean, beyond the existential contemplation of dying... It's a much more complex thing, right? Because if I think about, say, my bank accounts or the minimal investments that I have or my physical items like my musical equipment, my car, my five animals, who am I going to assign to what and what is the best way to frame that, right? Because talking about death is something that 
I've talked in this context, Whitney, with my mother and my mentor, Michael, because they are both at an age where this is a conversation that's becoming more consistent, right? And it's been an ongoing discussion with both of them of how they're structuring their assets and their lives, because what what they don't want to have happen is something like what has been happening for the past five years since, as an example, Prince passed away. And after Prince, the musical artist, passed away, there's all kinds of interesting documents to this day, articles rather, about the massive legal fight for his estate because he didn't leave behind a will and he didn't leave behind a trust. So his family members, the people who cared for him, his close associates, they've been in an ongoing five-year-plus legal battle trying to figure out how to divvy up not only his financial assets, but the physical assets in his life. And this is a one of the hugest artists in history. I mean, he had I can't remember the the number off the top of my head, but it was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars along with cars and houses, et cetera, et cetera. So for someone like that, which is an extreme example of obvious wealth and, and success and fame, for him not to have a will or any kind of guidance as to where his assets will be divvied out to, holy shit, what a mess. Like, I mean, it just sounds, everything I've read, it sounds like that is an epic mess. So taking that as sort of a cautionary tale, I don't want to have my life personally be that challenging. I'm nowhere near having, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, but nonetheless, who gets again, who gets what? So to your long answer is I don't have a plan in place. I don't have anything written down. I have I have a document with all of my passwords to all of my pertinent accounts, but then someone needs the password to my laptop to get in to get to those passwords. Who do I give that password to? And if my laptop were to crash, then all of those passwords would be gone and people would be royally fucked after my death. So to your point, Whitney, I'm thinking about how to keep a physical document written and multiple copies so that it's not just all digital, right? And what do I put there? Am I going to pay money to actually have a will created? And as part of that will, will I have my passwords and transaction codes and PIN codes? I it's a bit fucking overwhelming, honestly. Like now that I'm thinking about it, my head, I, I'm starting to like feel pressure in my head just thinking about it because we are all going to die. There's nothing we're going to do to avoid this unless maybe by the time we're done, we've joked about this in previous episodes, we upload our consciousness to a hard drive somewhere. <laughs> Who the hell knows? But for all intents and purposes, we're going to die. So I feel woefully unprepared now that you're bringing this up in conversation because I don't have nobody. Nobody knows shit. I don't have any beneficiaries. I have nothing written down. So, yeah, overwhelm is probably the primary emotion I'm feeling in this moment. (laughs) And that's exactly why I thought it might be helpful to discuss this, because I'm sure you're not the only one. And and some people might think like, oh, I'm going to put it off. I'll procrastinate it. But the truth is anything could happen to any of us. And we're in the middle of a, a really serious pandemic. And wherever you stand on the spectrum, there is no getting around the statistics of people that are dying in this, in the country and in the world. And we might feel like it can't impact us, but we don't know for sure. And even if it's not COVID, it, to your point, Jason, could be many things. I actually thought about this a bit Last year on my cross-country road trip, especially when I did the second leg of that trip by myself, I was looking up information about 
females traveling on their own. And one thing I came across was a woman, actually a flight attendant, who prepared a document that she gave a few important people in her life that covered some of these basics. And some of them were identification information in case, God forbid, she goes missing. Because the time it takes when somebody goes missing to just collect basic information about them and put out a flyer or something and and the police report, sometimes we're scrambling and we don't have a ton of time. So the quicker you can get that information to the authorities, the faster they can start looking for you and other people can start looking for you. And I was like, wow, you know, what am I afraid of when I'm driving cross country? Certainly there's a chance I could be in a car accident which, you know, is another thing. How are you identified if you're in an accident and unable to like give somebody a document? Like, should you have something in your car that somebody can easily take to figure out what to do with you and who to contact? But then like the other side of it is like, you know, women are kidnapped or, you know, who knows what happens to them sometimes. That's like one of the looming fears. And to know that somebody could go out and look for me would feel a little reassuring. (laughs) And this is just kind of the state of what it means to be a human being. It's not meant to like live in fear, but it's planning for the worst case scenarios, which gives me just a ton of comfort. And anyways, we can address some of these things here. Actually, it reminds me of something else. Today, I believe I was looking at some social media for one of the national parks I plan to go to on my upcoming road trip. And there were a bunch of flyers for a missing person on the main social media platforms for this huge national park. And on it, they had all the like photos of of this guy and what he was wearing and anything that they could give people so that they could keep an eye out for him. And again, if somebody doesn't have recent photos of you, if somebody doesn't know approximately where you are and where you're going, like, I think especially when you're traveling by yourself, it's really helpful to tell people as much information as possible in case something goes wrong because you might feel safe. But like, who knows, especially like in some remote area, like it could be an animal attack. It could be like you fall and hurt yourself. Like, wouldn't you want someone to try to find you and help you immediately? So these are the places my mind goes. and It doesn't actually like make me feel depressed. It actually makes me feel empowered, if that makes sense, because I feel like I'm taking good care of myself. When I was on my road trip last year, it gave me great comfort when I shared my location with my family members. And it gave my mother peace of mind too, because she could literally go on her phone and see exactly where I was at any time. And I think she enjoyed it. And it was like, okay, like I know where my daughter is. I know like approximately like what she might be doing there, like I'm okay. And I think sometimes we forget how important that is to other people. This is why I brought this up to you, Jason, because it would bring me peace of mind knowing like, can I get into your email accounts if I need to? Like, do I have your permission also? And thinking about like your animals, Like, do you want me to take your animals? Do you want someone else? Like, do you want to ask us ahead of time? (laughs) Like, hey, it's kind of like being a godparent. Like, what do? Where do you want your kids to go in the worst case scenario? And that makes sure that they're in the best hands and your wishes are fulfilled. So, let's go through this list. This originated from. 
the Wall Street Journal. It was updated on lantern.co, which we will link to in our show notes at wellevator.com. If you haven't been to our website yet, we have full transcripts, videos, and links to everything that we reference on our show at wellevatr.com in the podcast section of our website. I'll link to this. As I said, it was originally on the Wall Street Journal, but I tried to go to that article and it was like, blocked by a paywall or whatever. And I thought, it's kind of messed up. Like this information should be easily accessible to others. And and I was very grateful that Lantern.co not only shared it, but updated it. And part of the reason they updated it is because of things like digital property, which I thought is especially important for people like us. But most people these days have some sort of digital footprint in which They, you know, actually earlier today too, Jason, when Guru Jagat, is that how you pronounce her name? I think she just passed away today or in the past 24 hours. And I was curious about what happened and I went on her social media and I don't think any of the recent social media posts had been updated. I don't know if they were just waiting to decide what to post, but part of my thought process was, wow, like do the right people have access to her, her account where she was usually posting herself, you know? And if I pass away, like it would be nice if people in my life were alerted. And one other memory this is bringing up for me is I actually found out a few months ago that my step-grandfather, so when my grandmother remarried her husband, he passed away like sometime last year and most of the family had no idea because he wasn't close to us anymore and his social media wasn't updated. So how are we to know? You know, like so many of us keep in touch via social media, (laughs) not to say that that's the only way to keep in touch, but social media is a place that you might go check in on someone. And if like you don't see a post or you don't get information from someone else in your life, like you can go a very long time without knowing that someone's passed away. Well, how did you find out then? How did the information get relayed to you via who? Gosh, I don't even remember. I think it was one of the family members. Somehow one of us like came across it or I don't know. It was like one of those really weird things and we were all very perplexed. And this actually happened to me with an ex-boyfriend of mine who didn't use social media much, but I found out in some bizarre way that he had passed away and it was like, nine months since he had passed or something like that. And I was like, what? And it was so crazy and upsetting because since I wasn't alerted, I didn't get to go through that mourning process. I didn't get to go to his funeral or any of the things that they did to honor him at the end of his life. And I just felt like I still to this day feel weird about it. Like you don't get that closure. And what we're talking about today does not guarantee that closure, I think it does like help take the right steps. Like maybe you can include in these documents, like who do you want to be contacted? Who's important for to be contacted? Because when emergencies have happened, I personally like to know as soon as possible. That's part of my mourning process. There have been times where I found out about a death farther behind and it like really has bothered me that I didn't know sooner. It's like this weird 
energetic gap of time of just being like, whoa, like I didn't get to go through it collectively with other people who knew right away. I think that's part of it. It's an interesting, interesting experience. Yeah. I wanted to, before you get into the tips in this article, Whitney, just share. I don't know that I've talked about this on the podcast when I've referenced my father and, and our relationship and how I found out about how he'd passed away. But it was a similar thing in the sense that, you know, no one had heard from my dad in years. And my mom did a random Google search in 2011. Yeah, this was 2011. And I remember my mom leaving me a voicemail. I was at Expo West, actually. This was 2011, the springtime at Expo West in Anaheim. And my mom leaves me a voicemail and I'm at the trade show, so I can't take the call. And she said, you know, I have, I need to tell you something about your dad. Can you call me back? I was like, well, okay. And she had gone to, you know, try and hunt him down. Cause at that point, no one had seen or heard from my dad in five years that we knew of. And she did a random search on the internet and found in Ventura County, like his, his like death notice. Like, that's how I found out about my dad dying from an internet search. And, you know, after the shock of it all, I found myself calling Ventura County to try and get information. How did he pass? What were the circumstances of it? What happened to his body? And the person on the other line was very helpful. They said, yeah, you know, your, your father was checked into a, a county hospice here. He died in hospice under our care. You know, he had multiple, I think it was organ failures. My, my father had been an alcoholic and, a, and addicted to drugs for many years and was also homeless. And his body apparently just, you know, did not want to keep going. So they cremated him and they spread his ashes in the ocean. And this was, you know, I didn't know about this for years after he died. So when you talk about the difficulty of closure and not knowing, it was not only the shock of learning about my dad dying from an internet search, but then the follow-up to try and get answers and try and get someone in the county on the line to explain what happened at the end of his life. And, you know, and then about a year, two years after that, having a ceremony here in LA with my mom and a couple of old friends of my dad's. And, you know, we had a ceremony, you know, at the beach for him and, and, kind of an attempt at honoring him and having that closure. But to your point, he left nothing. I have been making an attempt for years to get myself put on his Screen Actors Guild residuals. I finally found out that he does have some residual money in his account, but I have to go and get his death certificate from Ventura County, get it notarized, give them a copy of my birth certificate that has his name on it. It's this whole fucking rigmarole to try and get the money that my dad has in this holding account because my father was an actor for years. It's not a lot of money. It's, it's, it's not, you know, I would have taken care of this a lot earlier if it was like some large amount, but it was like two years ago that I found out how much money was in there. The point is he took zero steps to set me or anyone else up to have the kind of information we're discussing. So not only is it painful to have a closure with a shock like that, but all the hoops you have to jump through to try and get the information and get yourself set up when a person in your life takes no steps to set up the people in their life. I'm not doing this to like speak ill about my father, but he, he made no preparations, zero. And it was very challenging for all of us. And I wonder sometimes like, I mean, you're saying right now it's overwhelming. So 
I think a lot of people are overwhelmed and they procrastinate and they think they have a lot more time. And the truth is we have no idea how much time we have left. But maybe also other people feel like it doesn't matter and they don't think about the impact that their death has on others and how much people actually care. You know, I have reflected a lot over the years since my my dad's dad passed away about like the ripple effect that that had on the family. But it, it felt like everything was smooth as a granddaughter. Like it didn't feel like this incredibly challenging experience. But there were things like there's just like these questions and that weird sense of like, I'll never get the answer because nobody knows the answer because it wasn't shared before my grandfather or grandma passed away. Like I have one of my grandmother's necklaces and like my aunt and my dad and his brother, like they don't know anything about this necklace. And I've often just wondered like, what did this necklace mean? Where did she get it from? But I can't ask her. And maybe like to your point in a way, Jason, it's like I could go ask around and like try to get to the bottom of it. And maybe that'd be kind of fun. But like, it's not that important to me right now. And it's just like kind of sad when you lose somebody and you can't like kind of connect some of these dots, but it's a beautiful thing when they leave a trail. And I feel like it's a really honoring thing too. It means that they, that you matter enough to them to provide this information and you care enough about your life and your legacy to have it continue beyond your lifetime. So that leads me to the document and we can go through it. Speaking of overwhelm, Jason, like there are certain things on here that I know are not that easy, but part of me was thinking like, I know that you could fairly quickly create a document with some of this information. Number one on the list is the last will and testament. And to your point, that in my head seems like a lot of work and potentially some money. I have known nothing about putting that together. Number two is a financial power of attorney, which is allowing you to designate someone to handle your finances. What I don't know is like, how official does that have to be? Is it as simple as like me saying, well, Jason's going to be in charge? Number three is an advanced healthcare directive which is a combination of your living will, how you want to be treated in certain medical circumstances, and the naming of a healthcare proxy slash power of attorney who has the authority to make medical decisions for you. That to me feels really important. Similar to number four on the list, which is the do not resuscitate order. I'm curious how you feel about that, Jason. Would you want to be resuscitated? Because this is something I have a lot of ignorance around. I don't know the pros and cons of being resuscitated. Have you ever thought about that? I thought about it in the context of like some sort of major brain injury or neurological damage where I would be rendered, God, I don't even know what the appropriate terminology is here, without my normal faculties. Let's just say it that way, right? When we talk about do not resuscitate, that's been the only context I've ever thought if I were ever to get in like a really traumatic brain injury or perhaps a deep coma, something like that. But those are the only contexts I've ever considered that before. It's interesting. How do you, I, those are really the only two circumstances I could think about authorizing something like that. You know, what do you think about that? 
I feel so ignorant. And this is another reason why I'm glad I'm thinking this through is that I want to go research it and see what the pros and cons are. Because in my head, I'm like, well, why wouldn't I want to be resuscitated? But then I thought, okay, but what if, let's say you're in like a coma and you have that horrific uh, experience of like, you can't speak or move your body. I forget what it's called, like shut-in syndrome or something like that, where like, you're fully conscious, but like no one can hear you. Like that sounds so terrifying. And I like, do you want to live? And what if you can't even communicate that you don't want to live anymore? Like there's circumstances like that, that freak me out. But then there's part of me thinking like, well, what's worse? Like, Cause death is so finite. Would I rather suffer and be alive than not suffer and be dead. Like, I think that's kind of what it comes down to from my limited understanding. Number five on this list is your personal and family medical history, including a list of medications, which I don't really understand how that plays into your death. Maybe like, why wouldn't somebody be able to find that information? You know what I mean? Like, that seems like a unnecessary thing, but this is again, I bet I'm guessing that since lantern.co specializes in this, they probably have articles on each of these bullet points, which maybe I can go look at. I was going to say it could also be too, you know, when you mentioned medications like certain interactions or things you might be allergic to, a la penicillin, that if you are in a medical situation and can't speak up for yourself, someone has the knowledge to say, don't give that person this thing. Maybe that's the context for it. Got it. So that would be more if you're still alive and unable to make decisions for yourself. Okay. That makes sense. Number six is a HIPAA authorization to release information. I feel like this is really important. And I bet you that there's like a form that you can fill out that says it's okay. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor's office, I think you have to like sign on a piece of paper that the doctors, what they're able or not able to do with your information. Number seven is your housing, land, and cemetery deeds, which is another fascinating thing is like people that buy cemetery plots for themselves. I know my grandfather did this. My mom's dad. I don't remember. Hmm. I don't remember what happened with my my dad's dad if he was cremated. I feel like he might have been. I feel like my grandma, his mom, was cremated. But I, I was there during my mom's father's burial. And I'm fairly certain my mom's mother was cremated. That's another question. I don't know if this is on this list, Jason, but have you thought about whether you want to be buried, cremated? Like, where do you stand on that? I want to have my remains turned into a tree pod. There are these tree pods that you can get where apparently they will put your remains into this plantable like pod. It's it's almost like a football shape that you can put into the ground. And I guess they mix in specific nutrients or seeds or something like that. And then your remains will literally grow into a tree. So I personally would like that. That's whatever form that takes, however that manifests. I like the idea of my remains being turned into food for something else. I really like that. So that's my plan. That's been my plan for years. I remember when I first saw an article and an Instagram post about these. I, I don't know what the technical term is, whatever these pods are. I was like, yep, that's my plan. Yeah, I haven't given deep thought to this either, but I like that. I've seen that as well. 
I guess I would be kind of curious about like the costs and what was involved and how legitimate it was because it's certainly a more alternative thing. And like, I'm sure it's a bit of an inconvenience, <laughs> like, because that's the other thing. Funerals, like they can be really expensive. You know, getting caskets is expensive. Like there's so much involved with that too. Like this is the type of stuff that I would really love to know about my loved ones, yourself included, Jason. Like how do you want to be memorialized? I like the idea of turning into a tree because to me, having a place where you could go back to like a cemetery experience where you can go and like be with that person in a more physical sense, like for my mom, she's actually going to Ohio where my, my grandfather lived and is buried. And she was telling me earlier today that she's going to go to his grave and she likes to go there and like clean up the, the gravestone. And there's like bushes that she trims and she like has her own little like honoring ritual every time that she's in town. And whenever I'm in uh, the area, she asked me to go by and like, it's really important to her versus again, like I haven't talked to my parents about, my other grandparents, because I don't really know. I, I guess they must be cremated because I didn't see them being buried. And I also like the whole thing about scattering ashes versus keeping ashes is really interesting to me. Like all of those rituals, I think, are partially for the living, but also like your choice as as the person, I think, is really important, too, because I think part of that experience that you have feels like a like a unifying ritual you know it's like you're saying goodbye to somebody you're honoring their last wishes in terms of how they want to depart this earth and how they want to be memorialized and so when you can go be part of this you know that you're doing it in the way that they would want which i think makes it more of a spiritual experience and I love the idea of a tree, to your point, Jason, because you you get like the more eco-friendly element of it, and you also give somebody a place to visit you. Yeah, I was looking it up, Whitney, in terms of cost, because I also remember when my grandparents passed, the discussion between my mother and her siblings, all of the children, of how much it was going to cost for the cemetery plot and getting the gravestone engraved and it's a big business. Death is a big business. Let's just call it what it is. So looking for these, I guess they call them tree urns, U-R-N, a tree urn. There's a company called The Living Urn that apparently they sell these, a whole system for planting the tree and, and having your loved one's ashes. And I guess you can you can pick... You can put in your zip code on the website. We'll link to this in our show notes at wellevator.com. The website is thelivingurn.com. And it's $129 plus the cost of the tree. It's a lot more affordable when you consider how expensive a funeral and a headstone and all that thing is. And so in real time, not to derail our list, but I'm going to just type in my zip code to see what their options are for recommendations. So I guess you can pick from, oh, wow, this is cool. There are crepe myrtle trees, magnolia trees, gardenias, pine trees, cypress, purple crepe myrtle, and I guess it's just an additional $30 for the tree along with the whole kit for planting. So again, $129, so it's like $160. That's pretty cool. The other thing too, I guess, since we are in Los Angeles, at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, they have 
tree burial pods in Los Angeles for natural burials there, which is super interesting. It's the Green Burial Council. We'll also link to this, the HollywoodForever.com cemetery. And you can get a custom price quote for what they call a, a environmentally friendly natural burial where they will plant a tree and put your, it looks like they'll put your ashes in there. You can either do it in Hollywood in the ancestral forest, or you can ship it to their sister facility in Marin County in Northern California. This is very cool, Whitney. You got to check out this. This is, this is awesome. So there's a whole bunch of different trees again, jacarandas, live oaks, cypress trees, canary pines. There's like dozens of different trees that they can give you as options here. So this is cool. So this is a thing now. This is a thing. And I like this to me, my heart, like that's how I want to be honored. This reminds me too of something that I've thought about a few times in my life, which is, I wish I had done this with my grandparents. Maybe I, well, my grandfather, my dad's dad, who was the, I was the closest to, I don't know. He might've thought this was weird. And like towards the end of his life, I don't know if he would have like mentally understood or if he would have been like not into this, but kind of wish I had tried to ask him, like, can you give me a sign? Like what, what if we had like a sign that, you know, some people believe like they see a butterfly and they're like, oh, that's my grandparent, you know, like what if we had agreed upon it? And so when I actually did see it, it felt more real. I actually made one up for him because he passed away in a hospice center in New Jersey where he spent his entire life. And around the time of his death, he told my dad that there were some like wild turkeys out his window. And my dad thought that my grandfather was like hallucinating. But then one time my dad was visiting and he actually saw wild turkeys outside my grandfather's window. And he was like, Oh, like they're real. And then like he talked to the nurses and they're like, yeah, they live right out there. So now every time I see wild turkeys, you know, on the East coast, I don't think they're out here on the West Coast, but whenever I see them, I think of my grandfather. So that's like my little sign. But like, I think I, I would love to do that with my sister. And we've talked about it before. She always gets really uncomfortable. But I'm like, let's just have like something like, let's say that we are able energetically to like communicate with the living. What if we had like some signal, you know? And again, it's more of like a comforting thing. But if you do believe in that, like, I don't see any harm. And so, you know, if you're in a tree, like maybe the tree you wish, you know, you pick a tree that attracts certain like birds or butterflies or something like that. So like it gives somebody a whole experience when they're there visiting you and that maybe they'll feel like you're there too, I suppose. The next thing on the list, going back to that, number eight is escrow mortgage accounts. Number nine is proof of loans made and debts owed. And this is actually something I'm curious about. Like, what actually happens after you die? Like, somebody has to pay that money, right? Like, it doesn't just evaporate. That's a huge question mark for me, too. Like, all of the elements of things that you're currently responsible for. Is this part of why you have to assign a family member to, to like your last will and testament? Like you're basically saying, Hey, if I die, you're in charge of paying the rest of these bills. So apparently when you die, 
it is the responsibility of your estate to take care of the remaining debt. If your estate is not able to do so, then the creditors are out of luck. The only time someone else is responsible for your credit card debt is if they are a joint account holder with you. That's from bankrate.com. There's another article from Forbes that says, here's what happens to your debts after you die. How debt is handled after death. Debt doesn't simply disappear when you die, but that doesn't necessarily mean someone else has to find a way to pay off your debts. Creditors can collect what is owed from your estate. Typically, creditors have a certain window of time after you die, and once the process begins to submit claims for what you owe, probate is a legal process where assets from your estate are distributed and debts are paid off. Property and physical assets that were in your name only are considered part of the estate and can be used to pay off your debt. However, there are situations when your loved ones can be responsible for paying some of your debts. If you have a co-signer on a loan or line of credit, that co-signer is responsible for paying the debt. Your state law might require your spouse to pay certain debts. Whoa. If you live in one of the community property states, your spouse might have to use property that you owned jointly rather than property that was only in your name to pay your debts. Arizona, California, Idaho, Louisiana, New Mexico, Nevada, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin are common law states. So apparently, depending on the circumstance, you might owe. Your family or your estate might owe. You're going to be an expert at uh, death planning by the time we get through all of this. I guess I am. (laughs) Maybe it seems like you're more interested in it than you were at the beginning. And then maybe that helps with the overwhelm because it's fascinating, right? Like I think, and again, this feels important to talk to your mom about, you know, I want to talk to my parents about it because I'd be curious, like anybody important in my life, I would just like to know so that I can honor them. Number 11 on the list or 10 on the list is vehicle titles. 11 is stock certificates, savings, bonds, and brokerage accounts. 12 is partnership and corporate operating agreements. 13 is tax returns. Six years from filing date. Thank goodness. That's something I can check off. I have all my tax returns in one section. I have a great accountant. But again, what happens when she passes away? And like, who's going to know who my accountant is? Like, I should have some of this aside, right? Number 14, a letter of instruction to convey requests and important information, such as where you want your ashes scattered or how you want your funeral or memorial services to be performed. I mean, this sort of things, if you're feeling overwhelmed, that to me feels like a really easy thing to write down. You already just discussed it with me, Jason. Like you could just write a line like, yeah, I want a tree urn. This is the website to go to. This is where I want it to be planted. That is better than people having no idea. Technically, this whole podcast episode kind of serves as as your document, Jason. <laughs> you can just copy and paste from the transcript on the on the website. You're good to go. But in all seriousness, for the listener as well, if you fi- feel this overwhelming, find this to be overwhelming. You could record a video. You could record an audio message and transcribe it. You can use tools like Google Documents, Microsoft Word. They have a, a voice to text feature. And sometimes just talking it through, you have a document. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's better than nothing is my big point. Like something there as a starting place is better than nothing to your point with your dad, Jason. 
Number 15 on this list is to me the most important in this day and age, which is a list of passwords and digital accounts to access accounts as well as unlock code to your phone. Thus, that video I was talking about that I saw earlier and a password to your computer, laptop, and or external hard drive. Now, for security reasons, you need to be mindful about where you keep this. But you can use tools like LastPass, for example, is a great service. And or I think there's another one called 1Password, where you literally have one password and it's a secure document containing all your passwords. So you could set up something like that, which is great for security anyways, And then you could give that one password to somebody and thus it kind of protects you from the rest being exposed. I would also recommend having some sort of document somewhere secure that a few people in your life know where it is. Like you could have a hiding place or a lockbox and maybe give some people keys to it or a code. You could have like a little code and it can be like a a cheap little lockbox with these important documents inside. And maybe it's a fireproof container and people can access this in case of emergency. Like that would be wise. But if you're comfortable enough, you could just put a document in your desk drawer and know that people, they might look there first. Number 16 on this list is a digital estate plan, which includes how you want your social media accounts to be handled after you're gone, as well as the name of who will carry out your wishes also known as a digital executor, which is the first time I've heard that term. That's super interesting. 17 is a list of safe deposit boxes and where the keys are located. So again, you could get a safe deposit box and put all these documents in there and then just tell somebody where the keys are located. So that's another way around all of this privacy-wise. 18 is life insurance policies, which I'm curious about, Jason, Do you have life insurance and have you considered getting it? For who? Your mom? My mom's got... (laughs) I mean, hmm. I just, I don't know. Life insurance to me always felt like I don't have a family. I don't have a spouse. Who's going to get it? The animals? You know, I don't know. I guess I just never considered it to be all that important. Have you? Not yet, but it's something I would like to get. I don't know enough about how much it costs. But I don't think it costs that much. Like, I feel like it's pretty affordable and it's better than nothing. And again, like, you know, if it's a romantic partner, if obviously if I got married, I would I think that would be helpful. My family members like my sister. I don't know. Like, who knows what her future is like? And if I can look out for for someone else, like, I feel like that could be wise. Number 19 on the list is individual retirement counts and or 401k account information. 20 is pension documents, if you have what, have that. 21, annuity contracts. What's that? What is annuity? I don't even know what annuity means. That's Greek to me. I have no idea. You don't know what annuity means? Let's see. It's a, a fixed sum of money paid to someone each year, typically for the rest of their life. A form of insurance or investment entitling the investor to a series of annual sums. Huh. See, we're learning a lot today. 22 is marriage license. 23, divorce papers. 24, a list of important contacts with phone numbers, email addresses, etc. I actually did something similar to this when I traveled to Mexico for the first time. I 
sent my parents a whole document full of my passport information, all the contacts of where I was going. Like for some reason in my head, I probably did something similar when I traveled in Europe when I was in college, but I just wanted to make sure like going outside the country, it felt like important for that information to be known. And then Jason, actually, when we had earthquakes, like in the past few years, you and I discussed a plan of action for ourselves. We had, you and I picked a meeting plan, which I think was Michael's house, right? Like we're going to go there as the safe house or a meeting spot. And I also sent my parents that address and I gave them your contact information. And I was like, in case of emergency, this is what I plan to do. Because living in Los Angeles, earthquakes are a very realistic occurrence. So if something brings down the power lines or the cell phone towers and like, nobody knows where you are and what you're doing, I'm sure that's incredibly frightening. So again, this can pertain to a lot of things. And number 25, the final bullet point, the final uh, element of this list is a legacy letter or ethical will, which may include your personal or family histories, stories, beliefs, values, and life lessons for future generations. Whoa, that's cool. It That also seems like a lot of work. But I will say that my dad's parents were both really into documenting their life. And so I feel like there must be something in our genetics. My dad's into it. Like the, his family lines has an interest in sharing st- personal stories. And my dad's dad like literally wrote a book about his life and I have it. I have like the main copy of it. And then I digitized it and shared it with everybody else in the family. My dad recently found some journal entries from my grandma And it was like her sharing her life story. And it's really, really amazing to have. Like, it is a legacy. And I have tons of videos. I've been doing video journals since I was a teenager. And I've always wondered, will anybody ever see these beside myself? Like, I I just record them as almost like a therapeutic thing. But they're not that hard to find. And I've just often wondered, especially if I don't have kids, like, is anyone going to find these and would they really care? But part of me is like, there's so many people in history that have recorded stories. The first one that comes to mind is Anne Frank, like without her journals, we wouldn't know a lot. And I, you know, what was Anne Frank even thinking? Who did she think was going to read her journal, you know, her diary? She probably thought like some I don't know. I don't think she was even fully aware of her own mortality in the deeper sense of it. So it's like her stories impacted many, many people. And so not to be in your ego, but just simply knowing that you could impact others with your story and with this information, that inspires me to do this because even if it helps one person after I pass, it's worth it. It reminds me years ago when they released some of Kurt Cobain's journals, and it was really fascinating to get a glimpse into his mind, his innermost thoughts, his sketchings, his musings, his his pain, his inspiration. 
and of course, you know, we're talking about Kurt Cobain, one of the most celebrated modern musicians in history. But to kind of close this episode out, Whitney, you're talking about these journals and these diaries. You know, I, I have I have dozens here at the house from over the years. I think dating back to God, 2002, I have almost 20 years worth of journals. And it's interesting that you bring that up here at the end, because I have thought about if I were to die, would anybody take the time to even read these? Like all of those thoughts, all of those feelings, all of those fears, all of those triumphs, all of those dreams, all of those failures, you know, the totality of all those expressions over decades, would people just burn them? Would people just throw them in the trash? Would people take time to read them? It's a fascinating thing to contemplate, isn't it? It really is. And and even now as I journal in my current journal, there are days where I sit and go like, does any of this fucking matter? Other than the fact that I'm releasing this thought and releasing this energy and exercising this to hopefully make myself feel more free and feel better. That's why I journal. But I have no idea if it will even matter or if anyone will ever read, you know, 20 plus years worth of my journaling. No clue. It's a fascinating thing to ponder, though. I mean, all of this, this entire conversation you brought to the table today is, yes, it's heavy, but it's also pragmatic. I mean, I think we in the West, in the United States, where we live, we have a really twisted relationship with death. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to contemplate it. In our episodes, we've recorded about our youth obsession. We've talked about our avoidance of even talking about death. But it's a really critically important thing to ponder. I think pondering our own, not just pondering our mortality, but this whole thing about setting ourselves up so that our loved ones and our dear ones don't have to suffer unnecessarily with a mess after our death. This is really important stuff, and I'm glad you brought it to the table, Whitney. And with that being said, dear listener or dear watcher, if you're enjoying this on YouTube, we're curious how you feel about this, contemplating your mortality, planning for how things are going to go after you die. If you have any of these things in place, we always love to hear from you and your perspectives. You can email us directly, hello at wellevator.com. And that's also our website, as Whitney mentioned, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. That contains all of the transcripts and show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes, including the article Whitney mentioned and some of those options we were talking about, living pods and, and living urns. So if you want to check all those out, go to our website, wellevator.com to check all those resources out. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, all the social media platforms, and we do have a second private podcast called This Hits the Spot, where we review our favorite new products, foods, services, things would just light us up. So you can check that out if you're a newsletter subscriber. If you're not, you can subscribe at wellevator.com. And if you care to throw us a few ducats, bones, dollars, ruples, we have a Patreon account and many, many wonderful people supporting us financially to keep the podcast going there. So we appreciate you. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. I feel like it, it was uncomfortable as hell today, but also really important. And I think that's the idea, Whitney, is a lot of things we talk about and, and kind of feel like, ooh, do I really want to talk about that? Are some of the most important things we need to talk about. So again, thanks for bringing this to the table. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. And we'll catch you with another episode of the podcast soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.